Amen. Well, did y'all enjoy Brother Kenshin last Sunday? Yeah, he was. He was. He. What was that? Brian called him a couple of, last year. Third string. But uh, I told Brian to remind him that he was first string this Sunday. <laughs> but uh, thank him and thank you, Brian, for uh, taking care of things and uh, mine and Bobby's absence and. Uh, just appreciate the opportunity to get away and just uh, and relax and rest a little bit. It's good to be back with my church family. Love each of you and thank God for each of you. This morning, let me ask you a question. Who are you dependent on? Think about that. Are you dependent upon yourself? I can do it. I can make my living I can provide for my needs. I can handle whatever comes my way. Are you dependent upon your government? You're looking to the government to be your provider, to be your protector. Are you looking to other people? You're hoping that somebody will come through for you just when you need it. Well, you know, the Bible tells us, in fact... Uh, Somebody did the math, I guess, years ago and figured out that the middle two verses of the Bible, the exact middle of the Bible, you know the middle book of the Bible, you know where that is, right? Book of Psalms. They found that the middle chapter and the middle verses were Psalms 118, verse 8 and 9. But I want to pick up with verse 5. The Bible says, I called on the Lord in distress. Who'd they call on? When? Has anybody ever been stressed? In distress? Is he the first person you go to? Or the last person? You remember the bumper sticker? When all else fails, what? Pray. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Why would you... Yeah, exactly. Why would you wait till everything fails before you pray? That's certainly not in the Bible, is it? It's like I read uh, something yesterday. I think Rich Smith posted on Facebook. He said uh, something about the verse that's not in the Bible is found in Second Hesitations, chapter 1, verse 3. That's kind of what, when all else fails, pray. That's in Second Hesitations, which uh, some of you who maybe not read your Bible might think, where is that? Anyway, Anyway, I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me. And set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man or what can man do to me. The Lord is for me among those who help me. The Lord is for me. Say that with me. The Lord is for me. Say it again. The Lord is for me. Some of you don't believe that. There are times I don't feel that way. I bet you've all felt like, you know, the Lord's against me. Anybody ever felt like the Lord was against them? Oh, you bunch of hypocrites. You know good and well you felt that way before. I have. Therefore I shall see my desire on those who hate me. Now here's the middle two verses. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in government, princes, human leaders. Who are you dependent on? You know, as I was... 
this week out of town, and I was just, I don't know, I was just having a time alone with God or praying. I think I was laying in the bed when I couldn't sleep, and it kind of dawned on me as I was praying where my prayers usually fall. And if you'll think about your prayer life for just a moment, you'll find that uh, basically our prayer life centers around three basic problems that we all have. And um, then when you start examining that a little bit further, you realize that those three basic problems, we're utterly dependent upon God to solve those problems for us. And those three basic problems, if we don't turn to God for them, they produce three negative problems, three negative emotions in our lives. So I got to think about it. You know, the biggest problem that we all have is a very common problem. In fact, all of these problems are common to mankind, and that's the sin problem. Every one of us has a sin problem, don't you? We are born in, with a sinful nature. And even though we are saved and we've been washed clean with the blood of Jesus Christ, that sinful nature is still present. Paul spoke of that in 1 Corinthians 7, that sin was evil was still present with him. That nature still pulls against, as he wrote in Galatians chapter 5, this sinful nature wars against the spiritual nature. They're constant battle with one another. So we have that sinful problem. And that problem of sin produces guilt in our lives. And none of us like guilt. But we feel guilt. And along with guilt comes condemnation. So that's a problem. And then there's another problem we have. And this is, this is called human needs. Everybody, every one of us have, have some of the same basic needs. We all have the need for food. We all have the need for, for water. We all have the need for shelter. We all have the need for clothing. We all have the need for companionship and fellowship and love. We have all those human needs in our lives. And when we sense that those needs are not being met, it produces worry. And how many of you worry? Man, y'all are perfect. God, why am I even preaching? Maybe I should go down to the church down the street. Maybe the Methodists need this sermon. Amen? So we worry when our human needs aren't being met, or at least as timely, or as much as we would like them to be met. Well, there's a third basic problem we have, and, and that is we have a common enemy. And his name is Satan, the devil. And uh, evil is around us and uh, always against us. And what that happened, when all the evil in this world, the devil's presence in this world has produced all kinds of problems, violence. You know, all kinds of, of, of hatred and division and strife and conflict and wars. And all of that, when you read the news and watch the news and read the newspaper, it produces, what is it producing you? It produces fear. So we have these three problems, sin that produces guilt, our human needs that cause us to worry, and the enemy and the devil himself and evil causes us to fear. And so if you look at your prayer life, as I did that particular morning laying in the bed, I thought that those are the three things that my prayer life centers around. I'm constantly asking God for forgiveness. I'm constantly asking God for meet my needs. I'm constantly asking God to protect me and my family and my church family. Those are the three things that my prayer life centers around. That yours? Probably. 
So who are we dependent upon for those three problems? Can man solve the sin problem? Can you solve your sin problem? No. Can you meet your own needs? Some people think they can. Can you defeat the enemy on your own, in your own strength? Can you overcome evil in your own strength? We, we can't. So we're dependent upon God. So these problems that cause these three negative emotions has one common solution, and it's God. So we are dependent upon Him, first of all, in relationship to the sin problem. We're dependent upon Him, His heart of pardon. In Psalm 65 and verse 3, the Bible says, Iniquities prevail against me. One version says, Iniquities overwhelm me. In other words, my sin overwhelms me. Have you ever felt that way? That your sin is just so overwhelming. You're so overwhelmed with guilt. And he says, As for our transgressions, the psalmist is speaking to God, You will provide atonement for them atonement that is you will provide a way for those sins to be forgiven and what was the way that God provided for those sins to be forgiven we just the choir just sang it I believe in Jesus Christ Jesus is the way for our sins to be forgiven he it was the atonement for our sin he paid the price for you and me to be forgiven why would God withhold forgiveness when he didn't withhold his son. He gave his only son so that we could be forgiven of our sin. Psalm 86 and verse 5. The Bible says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. God is ready to forgive us. He's ready to forgive you. We have to remember that because when we sin, and especially if we sin intentionally, then we feel as if, well, I have wounded God one too many times. God won't forgive me now. And I know you felt that way. I know you thought that way. I felt and thought that way before. And it's hard to come back to God again. But God wants you to hear Him saying, I am ready to forgive you if you will come to me. He said, I'll extend mercy. I will give you mercy. Now think about David. King David committed a grave sin. He committed adultery. On top of that, he committed murder. And, and he, was over, he wasn't even bothered by it. It didn't even seem to bother him until he was confronted by Nathan. And then he, was, he saw his sin, and then he was overcome with guilt and conviction. And then Psalm 51, he wrote as his prayer of confession. And God forgave him, and God restored him. And still, because of David, as I spoke a moment ago, I gave you that little mini-sermon in the, in the welcome time this morning. Because of David... God spared Israel. It was because of his love for David, because of David's love for God. He's, I read it this, uh, yesterday. He said, because of my servant David, I will spare Israel. You know, but David was a sinner, but God was ready to forgive him. I, I even read about Ahab this week. I don't know if you've read much about the kings of Israel, but Ahab was a wicked king. Remember he was married to that woman? What was her name? Jezebel. Some might call her painted dog meat because that's what she was. She was the one that painted her face with all this makeup and then the, you know, they threw her out the window and she splattered on the ground and the dogs came and ate everything but her hands, her feet, and her head. And um, 
Ahab had led the nation and Jezebel had led the nation to worship false gods, the god of Baal. And God was angry with Ahab and he told Ahab through the prophet, he said, I'm going to destroy you and your kingdom and all your descendants up until I think he said the fourth generation. This broke Ahab's heart. It says he put on sackcloth and covered himself with ashes and he humbled himself, the Bible says, before the Lord. And it says God had mercy on Ahab. Man, I'd have killed the dude for what he did against me if I were God. And it just reminded me, again, not just for our nation, but for me personally, for all sinners, when a sinner comes to God in humility and brokenness over their sin, it triggers God's mercy response. And that's why I said in 1 John 1, 9, it says in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, you see, some people don't want to admit that what they're doing is sin. They want to call it something else. They want somebody to put their stamp of approval on it. But he said, and then those who have sinned say, well, I, I, I'm, I, can't, confess, I can't bring it to God. I, I brought it to God too many times. He's not going to forgive me this time. But if both of those groups of people would come and confess their sin and say, God, what I've done is sin against you, God says, I will forgive their sin. And I will cleanse them of all unrighteousness. But you've got to bring it to Him. And you see, when you do, that problem of sin that produces guilt, He forgives, He wipes it clean, and He replaces that guilt with pure and clean conscience. Man, do you understand the gift that that is? To be able to stand before God with a pure, clean conscience? To have confidence before God? You know the difference, don't you? You've had, you've, we have all sinned. And we, when we approach God, we feel guilty. We feel not confident until we get that sin in our lives confessed and repented and out of our lives, then we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have confidence once again before God. That guilt and condemnation has been removed. He's wiped it away. So we're dependent upon God for that heart of pardon. Don't ever stop asking God that when you sin to forgive you. Don't ever stop confessing those sins to Him. He's ready to forgive you. You know why? Because He loves you. And He sent His Son Jesus to pay the price for your sin. We're dependent upon God for this second problem we have, the human need that we constantly have. You know, you wake up today, you woke up today and you had a you had the same needs as you had yesterday. You're going to wake up tomorrow, you're going to have the same needs tomorrow that you have today if you wake up tomorrow. And and some of you may wake up and go, I don't know how this need is, is going to be met in my life today, but but I'm going to look to God. Well, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus knew that um, our, our basic human needs would cause us to worry. And that's why I said, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Your life is more than those things. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father, in other words, they don't work and they don't save. 
That's the, let's look at it literally. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't save for a rainy day. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't save for a rainy day. I think that's wise. But what he's saying is, quit worrying. He said, these birds, they don't work, and they don't save, yet your Father feeds them. And then he asked this rhetorical question, Are you not of more value than they? What's the answer to that question? Yes, I am more valuable than the birds. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a statue? Which of you, by worrying, can pay that bill? Does worry pay the bills? You know what worry does? It creates more bills. You ever notice that? No, you haven't. Worry, the Bible says, rots the bones. Did you know that? Literally speaking, worry works on your body in negative ways. Worry will eat you physically alive. And it just creates more bills. Stress, heart problems, diabetes, all these things that we suffer from and go to the doctor and accumulate more bills for are caused when we worry about the basic human needs of life. Or we're working so many hours to pay for the things that we have that we really don't need that we're killing ourselves at work. And that's why I said earlier, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't serve two masters. So Jesus says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. So again, they don't work. He said, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed or clothed like the lilies of the field. So if God now clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, that is, it grows up today and tomorrow you're going to mow it down and use it for fuel to light your stoves to cook with, he said, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Now, the Gentiles, he refers to them as those without God, those who are pagans. You see, that pagans live a life of constantly worrying about things, materialistic. That's not the way of the God's people. And he says, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So we should then seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that we need He'll provide. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Then he writes to us in the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? What dad here is when his son says, Dad, can I have a piece of bread? You're going to hand him a, a, a rock. Here, make your peanut butter and jelly sandwich out of that. No, 
Nobody's going to do this. We laugh at that. We mock that. It's stupid. That's what the point Jesus is trying to make. He said, and what if your son asks for a fish? Are you going to give him a snake? Hey, Dad, can we have a fish sandwich? Yes, son, I just killed a rattlesnake in the yard. Skin him and eat him. You, want... you know, no, no human being is going to do that, unless you're a Cajun. <laughs> They'll eat anything. I know. I lived among them for 15 years. He said, if then you being evil, that is us human beings who have a tendency towards evil, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? If I, as a sinful human father, want and desire and give good things to my kids, how much more does God want to give things good to you and me? And he says, ask. Don't stop asking God to meet your needs. Don't stop looking to Him. Don't feel guilty. Somebody says, well, God's got too many problems to worry about mine. God don't have problems. Or He wouldn't be God. You have problems. You have needs. God has no needs. And there's nothing too small, too insignificant, to escape God's care and attention. The Bible says He knows the number of hair on your head. That is a small, minute detail, especially for some of you. And if He's concerned about the number of hair on your heads, every other detail is important to Him. So don't stop asking. The Bible says, My God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, by Christ Jesus. You see, think about it just for a moment. Why did Paul put that phrase in there? By Christ Jesus. He's going to meet your needs. According to His riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. It's because you belong to Him. You see, Jesus came to His own, and His own did not receive Him, but to as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become what? Children of God. Because of Christ Jesus, what are you? Say it again. What are you? I'm a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then He's your Father. Therefore, that makes Him responsible for every need you have. Isn't that right? Dads, aren't you the one responsible for the needs of your family? Do you think your Heavenly Father's worse than you? Or better than you? I think He's a better dad than the, any, all of us dads put together. So it's because of Christ Jesus. And you know what Paul said in Romans? He said, He that spared not His only Son... How shall he not with him freely give us all things? Now let me ask you this. What's the greatest need you had? We already talked about it. Forgiveness because of my sin. And God sent his only son who laid down his life for you and me. That's the greatest gift. That solved the greatest problem. So any other need you have is secondary and minute in nature. So he, God, who did not spare his only son but freely gave him up for us all. Shall he not also with Christ Jesus freely give us all things? Now listen, this is not prosperity theology. God's not going to make you rich just because you want to be rich. But what God is saying is, I'll take care of your needs. I will provide for you. You don't have to worry. And so worry then is replaced with faith and trust. God, I trust you today to take care of my needs. I don't know how, I don't know when, but 
I trust you. You know, I think about the widow that I read about and you read about in the Old Testament that uh, Elisha came to her and said, I want you to prepare for me uh, some uh, cakes. And not cake like we think cake, but bread, cakes, and, and from grain, and some oil, and some wine, or some water. And she goes, well, I can't do that. She says, all I have is enough left for me and my son. She was a widow, and I'm going to fix it for us, and that'll be our last meal, and then I guess we'll starve to death. That's what she said. Elisha said, here's what I want you to do. You go to your neighbors, and you borrow every pot and pan you can find. And so she went and borrowed all these pots and pans. And he said, you take that oil that's left in your pot, and you start pouring in all those pots and pans. And all she had was just enough to finish one meal. But it says she filled up all those pots and pans she had borrowed with oil. And then Elisha said, now go out and sell it. And you'll have enough. And then, but first, fix me something to eat. <laughs> you got to take care of your preacher. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> and y'all do a wonderful job, by the way. Thank you. But um, God met her need. Now, that's crazy, right? That's crazy. Is that the same God we serve today? Is that the same God? Are you sure? Are you convinced? Is that the same God that took five loaves of bread and a few fish and fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children? Is that the same God? Is He still alive today? Are you sure? You think He loves you that way? Think He'll take something that isn't there and provide for something that you need? Yes, He will. Why? Because you're His child. So worry is replaced by faith and trust. And then our third problem is evil and our enemy, the devil. And here's what we need and we ask God for. Not only his heart of pardon, not only his hand of provision, but we pray for his hedge of protection. In Psalm 91, the Bible says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That is, the trap set by the fowler was a bird catcher. But, uh, and they would set traps. But He's talking here referring to the, His enemy, and more specifically for us, the devil. He will deliver you from the traps of Satan and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, that is, those diseases that work where you cannot see, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come Near you, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now we know that's a prophecy about Jesus, but we are brothers 
with Christ. And he says in Psalm 121, this is a favorite psalm of many. I will lift up to my, my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not al allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your protector. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. The Lord shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth even forevermore. The Bible refers to God as our shelter, our strong tower, our refuge, our protector. And He truly is that. You think, well, why do bad things happen? Listen, if you're a child of God... That doesn't mean bad things won't happen. It means they must be filtered through His divine will. I think of Job. The Bible says Job, that's, and the Bible says God and the devil had a conversation about Job. And that God even brought Job to the devil's attention. He said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan said, yes, I have. I've wanted to get to him, but you have a hedge around him. I can't touch him. And God said, well, I will lower that hedge then, and I will let you work on him. But you must spare his life. And that's when God, the devil went in, and his, all of his kids were just destroyed in one day. Why would God do that? I, listen, there are things about God I can't understand. And then the, Satan was trying to get Job to curse God. And God knew that Job wouldn't. And so Satan goes back to God and says, God says, well, Job didn't curse me. And Satan said, yeah, of course. You didn't let me touch his life. You know, he's self-preservation. He's alive. He's well. Let me touch his life. God said, okay. But you can't take his life. So then the devil afflicted Job with all kinds of disease and boils and he was in pain, and he scraped himself with a piece of pottery because he was in such pain and agony. And the Bible says about Job that in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with evil. Man, that's a powerful statement because if those things were to happen to me, typically, sometimes, I say typically, sometimes those two don't match, but typically, my response is, God, why are you doing this to me? Now, Job did have those questions with God, but he didn't charge God with evil. He never said, God, you're mean. I hate you. You're not who I said you were. You're not who I thought you were. You're a bad God to allow bad things. He never shook his fist in God's face. In fact, Job said, Naked I came into this world, naked I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In fact, Job said, Lord, even though you kill me. You see, Job didn't have any knowledge of this conversation between Satan and God. And he kind of thought it was God's hand doing this, but he, he said, it's not evil, Lord. I don't know why you're doing this, but he said, even though you kill me, I will still trust in you. Listen, you can trust God's hedge of protection and that everything that happens has to be filtered through his will. And then if it's, and if it's happening to you, you know it's already been filtered through the will of God. Therefore, it is happening for your good.
Because the Bible says all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So none of us need to worry or be afraid. Because whatever happens, happens because God has willed it. But we trust God's protection. The Bible says, the psalmist said in Psalm 139, in verse 5, he said, You have hedged me behind and before, and your hand is upon me. You know, nobody can get to you, not even the devil. No violent person around here can get to you unless the Lord allows it. God is your protector. He's the shade at your right hand. The Bible says in Proverbs, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. So, what God wants us to do is to trust Him. Not be afraid, not live in fear. Listen, it's easy to live in fear in this world filled, of, filled with hatred and violence. But you're not to live your life in fear. Fear will make you do things you shouldn't do. It'll cause you to be reactionary. And God wants you to be at peace. You see, He replaces fear with peace. You remember the disciples in the boat and the storm came? And they were, the Bible says, fearful. And the funny thing is, is Jesus was in the boat with them. Do you think God was going to let anything happen to Jesus? Do you think that boat was going to sink? Jesus already told them, we're going to the other side. That was a promise. We're going to get there. But he didn't tell them they had to go through a storm. Listen, you're going to get there. You may be going through a storm right now, but you're going to get there. And there's somebody in that storm with you, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he said to that storm, he said to the winds and the waves, peace be still. But I think he was also speaking to the disciples, and that's what he's saying to you and I. He replaces that fear with peace and calm in the midst of the storm. So what does God want from me? These are things I ask of God. I'm dependent upon God for a heart for his heart of pardon. I'm dependent upon God for his hand of provision. I'm dependent upon God for his hedge of protection for me, for my family, for my church family. Those are things I pray for all the time. And I'm constantly praying for you and your families and your homes and your needs. And I want you to keep praying for that. Even though you see things happening in your life that go, well, man, I don't feel protected. I feel very vulnerable. Listen, God is still protecting you. And if he weren't, the devil would drag your soul to hell. He is your protector. Nothing can happen to you that he doesn't allow. So what, can, what does he want from me? You know one thing he wants from you? The main thing he wants from you? What was the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what he wants. He wants your love. And, and part of love, how do I love God? Well, I hate evil. I don't want to give myself to sin repeatedly i want to hate evil the bible says in romans 12 9 hate what is evil cling to what is good so in loving god i'm going to hate evil in loving god i i'm going to hallow him the bible says in, in job chapter 8 and verse uh, 13 to hallow the lord our god he says the lord of hosts him you shall hallow him you shall fear don't fear don't worry about what others can do. Jesus said that. He said, don't fear him who can destroy your body. 
Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Who's that? That's God. Hallow him. Save that, that spot of, of, of the one who has control over your life. Hallow him. Nobody else has control over your life. The Muslims don't have control over this world. God does. The terrorists don't have control of this world. God does. Now the enemy, the devil, he's trying to wrestle control out of God's hand, but it's not even a fight. It's not even a fair fight. The devil's on a short leash. God's fixing to jerk it back. And it won't be long. Hallow God. He's sovereign. He's on the throne. And then honor God with praise and thanksgiving. You know, I wish I had time to read... And I wasn't planning to anyway, but I want you to go back this afternoon and read the last five chapters of the book of Psalms. It wouldn't take you that long. Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150. It's every word just about praise, praise, praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him from the heights. Praise Him, all angels. Praise Him, hosts, sun and moon, stars and light. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Sea creatures, fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds, mountains, hills, fruitful trees, all cedars, beasts and all cattle, Creeping things, kings of the earth, princes and judges, young men, maidens, old men, children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His glory is above heaven and the earth. Praise the Lord. Praise Him with a new song. Praise Him with the timbrel and the dance. The Lord takes pleasure in His people. The Lord takes pleasure in His people. Let the high praises of God be in their mouths. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet, with the lute and the harp, with the timbrel and the dance, with the stringed instruments and flutes, with loud cymbals and clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What does God want? He wants my love. And what does that look like? I hate evil. I hallow only Him. I worship only Him. I fear only Him. And I honor Him with praise and gratefulness. Because what that does is it reminds me that I'm dependent upon Him for all these things. Who are you dependent upon? It will tell in the way you feel, your emotions. If, you're, if you feel constantly condemned, constantly worrying, and constantly afraid, you're not depending upon God, you're depending upon man. Your emotions tell on you. But if you have a pure, clean conscience, if you have a confident trust in the Lord and you're at peace, then yes, you can say, I'm depending upon God. Because only God can provide those things for you. Don't quit asking. Don't quit praying for God's heart of pardon, His hand of provision, and His hedge of protection. Why don't we do that right now? Every head bowed, every eye closed.